You're tuning in to the With a Camera podcast. I'm your host, Kristen, also known as Kristen with a Camera. If you or someone you know would like to be a part of this podcast, please hit me up on social media at Kristen with a Camera. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever podcasts are streamed. I'm going to tell you a little bit about today's guest and then we're going to get right into the show. Today's guest is Nick Mayo. Nick is a film photographer from Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's best known on social media as Nick Exposed. He's got a YouTube channel that's taken off since he started shooting videos a few months ago. On his YouTube channel, he shares tips, tricks, and all kinds of interesting things about both photography and the creative process. In this episode, Nick's going to talk about shooting wedding photography with his wife, Emily, You'll also hear a little bit about what inspires him and a special, special, special surprise in this episode is that Nick is going to be giving away a Leica M2M, which is an extremely rare camera. So you're going to want to listen and hear how you can win this Leica M2M. It was an absolute pleasure having Nick on the show. And without further ado, let's finally get right into the show. Thank you. First of all, thank you for taking the time to sit down and do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm honored. I'm honored to be on here and excited to uh, to see where the conversation brings us. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about photography. I feel like there's so much to talk about, starting with your background in photography. So I saw that you're a wedding photographer. Now, do you only shoot mm-hmm. film at weddings? So we do hybrid at weddings, or I do hybrid at weddings. Emily, uh, my wife, who shoots with me, um, she does all digital. And then when it comes to the uh, bridal portraits and just any of the outdoor, like, main stuff, uh, I typically pull out either the Mia 645 or the Pentax 67, and I just kind of run and gun with that. So uh, it's definitely a hybrid setup, um, but... uh, I feel like weddings in, in film, film is what keeps me just super inspired about weddings. I mean, I, I, Emily and I do have a heart for just married couples and young uh, couples going into marriage. But as far as the creative aspect, film is definitely what keeps me uh, driving along and, and just inspired and everything there. So when you shoot a wedding, I'm curious, how many rolls of film do you bring? Sure. I bring anywhere from like five to 10. Uh, so yes, what's today? Monday. So Saturday's wedding, uh, I just shot five rolls of, uh, 120 Portra, um, Portra 400. So in five rolls is kind of standard. All right. So Portra 400, but not rock and white weddings. No, not, I mean, every once in a while I'll, I'll pull out some HP five, especially if I had some loaded up in the camera already, but uh, with weddings, I'm typically shooting color, especially because my personal work is all black and white. And I kind of like having that, that separation to where uh, weddings and the professional work is all uh, color and then personal work is all black and white. And there's kind of that divide there that my mind can kind of separate itself in. Yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely want to bring uh, a little bit more of my personal style into weddings. And this year I have kind of incorporated a, a little bit more of just my grainy uh really pushed like HP five, I'll push it to like 6,400 and just kind of play around, but I haven't gotten anything that I'm like, uh, over the moon about yet. So it's still kind of experimenting of how it plays into my, uh, my wedding work. 
What's your favorite part about shooting weddings? I think it's really like just getting to connect with the the couples. Like I said, Emily and I, we really have just a heart for for young couples that are stepping into that next area of their life. And uh, I mean, we just think back to to you know when we were stepping forward into marriage and everything. And Emily and I both serve at our ministry where we met at and. A lot of the couples that we get to shoot are from the ministry as well. So we get to shoot a lot of friends throughout the year and, and just really partnering with them, getting to know them even further and get to know them in a, in a different way than just through ministry. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. So I'm very uh, personable. Emily's very personable. And we just love connecting with the couples that that we get to serve. That sounds great. What yeah. tips would you give somebody who was shooting their first wedding? Um, I mean, I think if you just think about it in the, the fact of a story, you know, I mean, the way that we think about it is we're, we're shooting everything for an album at the end of the day uh, to where at the like after all is said and done, we could present an album that um, and not all of our couples go with albums. But that's still how we kind of approach the day is like, how can we tell the story of their wedding day? How can we tell the story of their love from start to finish in just a cohesive way? And I think if you think about it in that way, it'll take a lot of the kind of initial stress and the initial like, oh man, what do I do kind of out of it? And you'll be able to approach it in a much more like uh, feasible and tangible way. Does that I make always, sense? Yeah. I always love behind the scenes <laughs> shots at weddings, like the little details. Totally. And that's where Emily, like she really shines at that kind of stuff, being able to uh, capture just the, the off moments, you know, the stuff to where it's people are interacting with each other and she's kind of more of the fly on the wall, getting all the, the detail shots and everything that's that's going on. And uh, I think it comes with, you know, just a, a woman's vision on, on a wedding day. She gets to think about it in different terms than uh, a guy would, if that makes sense, too. So, yeah, <laughs> it does. Not that us guys can't think of it in that way. But, you know, I mean, ladies, they you guess just like grow up your entire lives dreaming of the wedding day. And I think there's so many different nuances of wedding day that. Uh, just don't even cross like my mind. And I, I mean, I feel like we do a good job and I do a good job at capturing the wedding day, but there are different things for when we're going through the photos after all is said and done. I'm like, man, I wouldn't even have caught that. You know, it's just these, these little in between moments that Emily's just so fantastic at capturing. So it's fun. It's, I, I guess that's the nice thing about having a, a husband and wife uh, team or, you know, even just a, a two person team getting to capture a wedding day is, we get to kind of bounce back and forth and I have my strengths and she has her strengths and it kind of takes a lot of the stress out of having to cover the entire day by itself. Were you both interested in photography? Yeah, that's one of the things that, that we definitely clicked on. Emily's a full-time uh, grad student right now at her, her College of Art and Design here in uh, Grand Rapids. And at the time, uh, she wasn't in school, but she was definitely um, pursuing her arts and she had I mean, she does a lot of like drawings. She does amazing charcoal drawings and sculptures and, and just she's a fantastic artist. But uh, in the past, she's also a uh, second shot for her brother. Her brother was a big wedding photographer and she had a lot of experience in weddings. Uh, I had some experience in weddings. I was doing mostly entertainment photography before that. Uh, and I kind of swore off weddings. Uh, I had had just some sour experiences just with equipment failing at crucial times and, and just everything that that comes with the stress of wedding days. And uh, I'd kind of swore him off, but at the same time, I was still passionate about photography. Um, 
it wasn't until we connected and when we started dating that we started realizing that um, together it made much more sense for us to photograph weddings and it took a lot of the stress out of things. So, so yeah, photography was one of the big things that uh, that really drew us together. I mean, the first time that we actually hung out uh, kind of one-on-one was she had a, a studio out here in Grand Rapids that um, she was creating work in and she was closing it down to move out to Lansing, the capital of Michigan. And she was going out there for a job and I just really felt like uh, like we should go and just catalog this studio that she was having to close down. And I just knew that she created a lot of work that was just really near and dear to her heart in there. And, uh, we went and did a photo shoot at the studio and that's where we kind of really started clicking and uh, getting to know each other. So photography is a, a big part of our story, actually. That's really like all that one could hope for. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like imagining like, oh, I hope I. Uh... <laughs> sure. Someday. And it's amazing, too. Yeah, it's amazing, too, because um, with Emily being a full time artist and with me having all the different creative passions that I'm, I'm stepping forward on with YouTube and my personal work and then wedding stuff like we both understand the amount of time and dedication that needs to go into um, our artworks to to really make a body of work that we're going to be proud of. So it's just incredible, like the dynamic in our marriage of of being able to push each other forward and being able to encourage each other and just having the the awareness of just the amount of dedication it takes to to really just create something that's going to last a long time and that's going to be worthwhile of making. So uh, I, I don't know. I couldn't ask for a better marriage. I couldn't ask for a better wife. And just we feel so incredibly blessed to be able to push each other forward in our artistic endeavors. So it's a lot of fun. And for the listeners, and I'll put this link in the uh, description of the podcast, the website is nickandemily.photography. Yes. And <laughs> I hate to say, because we are both uh, extremely busy, the the website's kind of lacking. And I feel like that's kind of the wedding thing is like, oh, yeah, our website's kind of lacking on updates. But uh, we just have so many different things going on. And uh, I mean, not like... We're just we're lucky enough to where we really don't really have to market ourselves for weddings stuff. Like I said, we both still work with uh, with the young adults ministry that we both met at. I actually work there full time throughout the the week, and uh, it just kind of seems like couples fall in our lap. So it kind of makes us a little bit lazy on the uh, <laughs> the side of updating our website. But there's still work that we're proud of on there. So I just kind of like to preface that if you're going over to the website. Uh, just realize it might be a little bit of older work. It looks great, though, but we Thank all you. know that you're definitely not inactive on social media. So sure. you've got a YouTube channel, mm-hmm. and this is how I found you. I think Matt Day gave you a shout-out, and that's how I uh, stumbled across your videos. Sure. Yeah, Matt's such a – he's an amazing guy, and I just – I owe so much of the success so far of the channel just to – his friendship, his support, and the shout-outs that he's made, and um, getting to partner with him on his podcast as well, and and just yeah, the the podcast or the uh, the YouTube channel wouldn't be where it's at if it wasn't for Matt's support. So I'm just so grateful and just honored to to have him as a friend, and have him throw that out there. But yeah, it's something that I'm super proud of that uh, I'm really enjoying moving forward on, and it's been a fun little adventure of of learning and trying something new. <laughs> It looks like episode one was not even too long ago. So what inspired you to pick up the camera and start recording? Sure. Like this has been something that I've been wanting to do for for quite a while. 
And actually, last uh, last summer, I would picked up a, a point-and-shoot and was doing some vloggy-type stuff, almost like um, kind of inspired by Casey Neistat and the whole, you know, vlog movement. And uh, did some different episodes, and I even cut them together and, and it kind of put them all together, but I just wasn't happy with them. And um, I shared on the second uh, main episode of, of the channel this whole idea of done versus perfect and uh, it wasn't until I kind of got that idea in my head of uh, like solidifying this idea of moving forward and making sure that I'm just getting stuff done versus having this perfect you know YouTube channel or even back then trying to have these perfect vlog and you know that type of style so I've kind of stepped away from wanting to to do more of the vloggy type stuff and I've gone more towards content delivery and just uh, I guess you could call it teaching and everything. So it wasn't until like this year earlier in like January, really sitting down and, and just working through like what's 2017 going to look like. Um, I just really felt like, like the YouTube channel was a must and it was something that I really had to start stepping forward on and, and, uh, and making leaps on. So I started it and, uh, and ever since I've been just, uh, doing my best to stay consistent week after week. And I have to say, I especially enjoy Two Minute Tuesdays. Thank you. They're coming out, the quick little, you know, insightful thoughts and topics. Sure. They're like little bite-sized, yeah, little content. I'm actually, uh, just before we got on the call here, I was editing tomorrow's Two Minute Tuesday. So uh, I have fun with those. It's a quick little thing that I can put together and kind of takes uh, – it allows me to be very imperfect with them. I just throw my headbuds in and I kind of use the, the microphone on my my headset to record the audio and everything. And they're very imperfect, but at the same time, I think they serve their purpose. Exactly. And it's so important to, like you were talking about before, done versus perfect. Once you start putting stuff out there, I mean, that's the most important part. Just get it out there. Totally. It's. I think that's the most difficult part is, is actually just, you know, taking those first couple of steps, but... Um, I mean, the big thing is once you get momentum going, it gets to the point where like, uh, I, I don't feel like obligated that I have to bring videos out, but I definitely feel like, uh, if I go a few days without recording, I just kind of miss the whole process. I've, I've really come to enjoy, uh, just the whole recording and editing process. And I mean, if I go, you know, more than three or four days without actually recording a video, I just, I don't know. It's, it's not so much like the fear of, of the subscribers thinking, you know, what's going on on his end. It's more of just this idea of like, I just enjoy it. And it's become such a important part of my creative process now, but it, it all started from just like taking the first couple of steps and getting the momentum rolling. It's been a, a really unique and interesting experience. So how did you come across the Leica M2? Yeah. So, you know, I, at the end of this last year, I had a bunch of, of different gear I had acquired, I had like two RZ67s and I had a Yashica TLR. I just had all these cameras that I really enjoyed shooting, but at the same time, um, a lot of them were just sitting on my shelves. And I'd wrote this blog post, and, and if you go to nickexposed.com, my blog section is is very very behind. Again, it's it's kind of making priorities in certain things, and I've definitely made the YouTube channel more of a priority than my blog. Um, but I wrote this post called The Search for Lucille, and the whole concept of the post was talking about B.B. King and his guitar, and I just really resonate with blues and jazz, and it shows up in a lot of my work. But B.B. King with his guitar, he's had Lucille, uh, this one guitar for his, like, entire life, you know? Like, 
And if you look way back to the, the early recordings, there he is with Lucille. And he's obviously had multiple copies of that guitar, but it's it's been this one um, like body style of guitar. And just really kind of going through and going like looking at the way that I was shooting and I was trying to shoot with a bunch of different cameras and I was kind of all over the place and my work was kind of all over the place because of it. And really just sitting down going like, I want to narrow down and I want to hone in on a, a single camera that really just like encapsulates the way that I see, the way that I approach something. I wanted something that was in my hand that would inspire me to go out and shoot. Like kind of like what I was talking about with the videos. If I go a couple of days without actually shooting the videos, it's the same kind of thing. Like I want to, I want a camera to where if I go a couple of days without it being in my hands, like I want to miss it and I want to have it in my hands and go out there and, and you know, force myself to shoot. So at the end of the blog post, I kind of made a comment of, I'm just going to sell all this stuff off and I'm not going to buy another camera unless I buy a Leica. And as soon as I posted it, I just kept on mulling over that idea unless I buy a Leica. And um, long story short, I, I ended up going over on eBay and, and found a Leica for the M2. I knew that I wanted the M2 because I really want the 35 millimeter frame lines uh, for street photography. And found one at a good price. Uh, I put a bid in on it, and I won it. Uh, I won it before having any of the money for it, so I ended up having to sell a bunch of the other cameras off to uh, to pay for it. Um, and then, yeah, it, long story short, it's become absolutely my favorite camera to have in my hand. It's that and my Pentax 6.7 are, like, my go-to cameras right now. So the M2 uh, definitely shows up in quite a bit of the uh, the videos just because it's the camera I always have in my hand. And it's the Leica M2 with the HP5, the match made in heaven. Yeah, I, I, I love that combo. And I just have the, I have the Voigtlander 35 uh, 2.5. And, you know, it's, it's not the most spectacular lens. But at the same time, I, I really actually uh, love the way that this lens renders. I don't mind the vignette. I kind of like having the focus kind of brought towards the center of the screen or the center of the frame. Uh, so I don't mind it. It's a, a great combo. That lens is just perfect for street photography, street shooting. It's got a short throw. It's so fast to, to move with. So right now it's a, it's a fantastic little combo. And, uh, and that with the HP five push two stops is just my absolute go-to. And you bulk load your film, right? Yeah, that was, that was one of the big things like, Going into, I mean, for my personal work, it's 100% film. Uh, unless I take a, a quick little photo on my phone, uh, I get a lot of people that ask me what my favorite digital camera is, and I'd probably say my iPhone, <laughs> just because that I do feel pretty inspired when I have that one in my hand too. But um, yeah, I, I wanted to be able to go 100% film with my personal work, and I wanted it to be uh, easily approachable. And I just found that bulk loading cut so much cost and um, and I also enjoy the process of loading my own film, and uh, getting to load whatever size rolls I want, really. I could do short little stubby rolls if I want to, like, try pushing, you know, super far and just kind of do some experimenting. That's exactly what I was wondering. I was like, oh, so how many exposures on a roll? I mean, you could do it for really whatever you want. You could do 12, 24, 36. Totally. For a while, I was doing, like, 41 exposures on a roll, but... Um, after after doing about 20 rolls of that, uh, I realized that the height of my uh, shower curtain rod just wasn't high enough for for the film to hang and, and dry without like 
resting on the ground. So I'd always have to cut like individual frames off and then you have to try and clip it as close to the frame without getting on. I just, so right now I just stick with like 35, 36 exposure rules. And when you're shooting, I mean, inspiration's not a problem, right? You're able to finish rolls of like 40. Yeah. So that's actually funny because it's like tomorrow's two minute Tuesday. Uh, I, I can talk about it now because I, I think by the time this, this episode airs, the uh, two minute Tuesday will probably be up. But one of the things that I've, I've really come to realize with inspiration and everything, because there was definitely times of going out and, um, I like, I mean, I, I try and force myself to go out and create work on a very consistent basis. I'm out multiple times throughout a week. And if I don't finish a role, if I don't shoot at least one role in a day, uh, it was just, I mean, a bad day of shooting for me. And I, I say that lightly. Uh, I don't go out there just to, you know, shoot off crap frames, but, uh, I definitely, the way that I kind of try and view the world is a little bit more, uh, scatterbrained and I'm working on, you know, five different projects at the same time. So I'm adding to different bodies of work at the same time. So it's kind of more conducive to shooting through an entire role. But one of the things that I've learned, at least in my own process is within a photo walk, if I, if I fire off at least one or two frames within the first five minutes of my photo walk, I'll, I'll be much more, um, just available to see things creatively and, and make some risky shots moving forward. But if I go like 10 minutes without shooting within that first, like, you know, 10 minute window, uh, I'll typically shoot less throughout the day. And it's kind of a weird, I don't know if it's psychological and I just kind of like psych myself out or you start to second guess your creative eye or anything like that. But that's actually what the two minute Tuesday is on this time. And uh, Grand Rapids, is that like a big city? You know, it's it's kind of a medium-sized city. It's definitely growing, and it's becoming much more of a big city feel uh, in certain extents, but it also still has the um, small city just kind of vibes. You can go into quiet places. Not every single part of the city is hustling and bustling. Um, so. I'm trying to imagine because I live in a suburb right outside New York City. I have the luxury of seeing the skyline from my window, which is very nice. But the area in which I live is a village. It is a one square Mm. mile village. Oh, sure. (laughs) So as far as inspiration and going on a photo walk, um, (laughs) one square mile. Now you see it, now you don't. Yeah, that could be that could be difficult to walk the square same square mile every time, but I don't know. I I do feel like the there's there's like certain I probably have like three routes in Grand Rapids that I constantly walk and I'll walk the same route over and over and over again. And I guess the the approach that I take with my photography is I'm not so much looking at what's in front of uh, the camera as much as I'm looking at what the light is on front of the, like whatever it is that's in front of the camera. So I'm always searching for the light first. And it kind of, when I, when I switched over and I shift over to searching for light first and foremost and looking for interesting light, uh, I was able to look at the same thing, you know, a hundred times and be able to see it in a different way a hundred times. Cause every single day has its own light. Every single, you know, Each evening sunset, you know, whether it has different clouds that are covering this part of the sun or this part of the sky or everything like that, you start to see just different aspects of the same thing that you're looking at over and over, but you get to see light falling on it in a different way. So 
Um, maybe that'll inspire you next time you go out and, and walk your one square mile. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you mentioned that you have a couple different projects going at the same time. Sure. So one of them is boxing. Mm-hmm. I've noticed on your Instagram. So what's the story behind that? Sure. And that's, I, I really actually haven't added anything to it besides the initial photos, but I really want to get back in there. So I was on a, a photo walk one day and I kind of went off my beaten path and, and kind of went in a, a different direction. And uh, I do that quite often as well, but um, came up on this large Catholic church and I was trying to, to just get the, the steeple of the Catholic church and photo and it just wasn't working and ended up walking around the backside. And on the backside of this church, there was this gym, and I noticed on the window, I actually have a point of view video that kind of catalogs part of this, but um, it was talking about the Golden Gloves uh, boxing gym. And I kind of walked up to the window and seen that the hours it had just opened, and I was like, well, you know, I'm going to go down and see if uh, if they'll let me just shoot some sparring. I've never been in a boxing gym before. Uh, I've never really been one to watch boxing. Um, but I went down there, and they were super happy to let me in. Uh, they didn't let me do any video because they were, you know, terrified that I was there from another gym trying to scout out their boxers or something. And uh, just ended up, I don't know, I shot probably two rolls of, of HP5 in there. And it uh, turns out that the former middleweight world champion um, boxer was coming in to, to spar that day and to train. So got to photograph him and connected with him and, it sounds like we're probably going to be doing some projects in the future. And, uh, it was just an incredible experience and it was, it was a lot of fun, very different than what I normally shoot. I'm not much of a sports guy myself. So, um, going into kind of a sports arena like that and shooting, uh, just something that I'm not very familiar with was kind of fun and exciting. And uh, I was happy with a lot of the photos that I walked away on and happy with the relationship that I built with the, the gym and, um, I'm pretty confident that they would let me back in to, uh, to shoot some more. So I'm going to see where that kind of goes in the future. I might hold off until the winter just because it'll be indoors and it'll be a good, fun little winter project. Yeah, definitely. That's a good idea. So that's one of the projects. Mm-hmm. I see another one with a lot of abandoned cars or older looking cars. Sure. Right yeah, in the I... alley. <laughs> <laughs> hey. You know, I I started noticing because, like I said, Grand Rapids is is growing at a pretty rapid rate right now. I really feel like uh, the city's going to look quite a bit different in about five years. Um, it might look completely different in a, a year or two, even. Um, but just driving around, I, I started seeing these like little pockets of, um, I just call them kind of pockets of yesteryear, um, of just these these older, you know, just beautiful vehicles. But a lot of them are broken down. A lot of them are uh, people's side projects that they've kind of put off till tomorrow. And it's kind of this whole idea of, uh, you know, the things of yesterday always put off till tomorrow, uh, just because everyone's always so busy, especially in this city that, uh, these projects always kind of get pushed further and further out and, uh, just getting to catalog that getting to, to go from the big city vibe for a lot of my street photography work to, um, kind of a more vintage feel getting to, capture these like little time capsules that I feel like are, are very consistent throughout a lot of cities. I feel like these little blips of, of yesteryear are what kind of ties all of America together, uh, just the history. So that's a fun project that, uh, that I've just been adding to slowly but surely. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely interesting. What's your favorite project? Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess it, it kind of goes back and forth on on whatever I'm I'm really inspired on at the moment. Right now I'm really inspired by um, just tight crop details and, uh, and really kind of incorporating a lot of my graphic design back into my photography. So I'm working on a lot of composition, a lot of um, shapes, textures, and elements, working on tonal ranges, and, uh, and just kind of doing, I've been shooting with a 50 millimeter quite, quite a bit more than the 35 millimeter lately, and just kind of honing in on these little like partial details of a scene versus gathering the entire scene uh, that is kind of more uh, familiar with street photography. So I've been inspired by guys like Ralph Gibson lately and uh, a guy named Kit Young, who's on uh, Instagram. His his Instagram handle is kityoung135. And uh, just these guys are, are just really pushing me back into something that I used to explore quite a bit more, um, but have stepped away from and have really just enjoyed going back to and just kind of re-exploring for a little bit. So right now I'd say that that's kind of the, the main project that I'm focused on, on creating this year as well as some of these side projects, but that's the one that I'm actually going out and searching for. And then everything else I'm kind of stumbling upon and capturing as I go. And what's your goal with these photographs? I know that you have made zines in the past. You've mm -hmm. had some work in galleries. Yeah. So it's always going out to, to print. So I do a lot of print sales. Um, I also focus on doing uh, different exhibitions throughout the year, but then also building these, when it's a larger project, uh, it's either a zine project or a book project, um, like an actual hard copy, hard copy book. Um, so a lot of these are, are zine projects that are in the making. And uh, I just really love that tangible aspect. You're, you're handing over the image the way you want it to be, you know, approached. There's no, uh, you know, difference in screens. There's no difference in brightness. There's no, like... Once you finalize that print, once you look it over and you go, yes, and, and I, you know, you sign it at the bottom or however you go about it, you're saying, this is exactly how I want somebody to approach it. And I just love that aspect I love being able to know that somebody uh, in Europe or in Japan who's getting a zine in the mail is going to be able to see it the same way someone else in, you know, Germany or, you know, on the other side of the States will be able to approach it. I just like that aspect. Yeah, and it does make a difference with screens, and some screens are retina screens, and the phone, the computer, you know, all the different ways that people look at things now. Oh, absolutely. I have I have two screens set up in my office, and one of them is, is the IMAX screen, and it's, you know, super contrasty and punchy, and then the other one's this old, like, Samsung, and it's kind of the standard monitor that, you know, your parents would probably have in their house, and I kind of like dragging between the two and seeing the drastic difference and kind of trying to split the two and go, well, I hope as long as people are seeing it online that they kind of see it halfway in the middle here. So it's a very interesting thing to have to, to deal with is all the different screen types and how people's color temperatures are on their screen and everything. So many different variables. Yeah. And when you're shooting black and white, it's a little bit different than if it were all color. Yeah. It's, there's still a lot of variable to it, you know, like on, on the Samsung screen, a lot of the stuff that I, I really like the tonal range on my Mac screen, when I pull it over, all of a sudden the shadows open up too far and I've lost a lot of my absolute blacks. And I, 
I don't know. There is a, a big difference there, too. So just because it's black and white doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't struggle in the same way. It just kind of has different struggles altogether. Yeah, and you're scanning and developing yourself, mm-hmm. which you kind of mentioned before. Yeah, I'm definitely a, a process-driven uh, creative, and I think a lot of us film photographers would say that. But I just love just the whole meditative process of going from start to finish. And um, I mean, I if my week went well, you know, I have seven to ten different rolls of film that I could develop on the weekend, and I just like spending a couple hours just going through the motions of developing film, getting to experience that whole thing. And um, I don't know. It's it's just a lot of fun. And ever since getting the, the pack on, uh, scanning has been much more fun. <laughs> scanning on the flatbed wasn't as enjoyable as it is scanning on the pack on. Oh, so. yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that adds the fun to it for sure when it's automatically feeding it. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, flatbed of, scanning is such a bummer. It, it really is, and I... I Honestly, I think my flatbed broke on me this week. I scanned in some of my Pentax 6-7 negatives. I, I shot my newborn niece uh, two weekends ago and just got around to scanning the negatives in, and nothing's really sharp on it. Everything's just kind of soft, and I think it's the scanner just finally kind of on its last leg. But uh, I do, like, one of my big goals for this year is is really finding a space to, to set up a darkroom and start doing some darkroom printing as well. I, I know that I'm going to really enjoy the whole dodging and burning and just kind of finalizing a print in that way. So just trying to find the space. Did you have a formal education in photography or are you self-taught? Yeah, it's all self-taught. I mean, is is YouTube and you know, Creative Live and different things like that, but it's all online teachings, reading books and just getting out there and failing, you know, for three years and four years and then five years and I'm still failing today and I'm still learning today. So six, six and a half years in, I think. So I don't know. It's just one big old process, but I enjoy it. So six and a half years in what initially sparked your interest in photography? Sure. I was a graphic designer for a long time and a web designer before that. And back when I was doing web design and graphic design, I was starting to make the transition from web design over to graphic design and a lot of my clients in both areas needed good photos, um, which I wasn't necessarily bringing them at the time, but I was bringing them better photos than they were taking at the time. So uh, it was really kind of the initial idea of getting into photography, but then kind of seeing it as a creative avenue uh, shortly after that. And uh, I'll be honest, uh, I've mentioned this a couple other places, but HDR is actually what really got me into um, kind of running full force with photography. And kind of did the whole HDR thing for a little while and uh, eventually found film and realized that I really like the high dynamic range, but I like the high dynamic range of film much more. The the tonal range of film just really like just caught my heart and I just started moving forward with that after that. HDR. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's cringeworthy looking back at it, but it was what I did for a while and I, I don't know. I guess I'm thankful for it because it got me into photography more full force. So, yeah, everybody's got something. Um, <laughs> totally. I can't really, think of my something conveniently. <laughs> I'm like really hoping that somebody hasn't cataloged a bunch of my old like HDR photos, and like all of a sudden one day you'll see this like flicker stream come out of all these terrible old, as if I'm that important that somebody would like troll me like that. But 
I don't know. It's still at the back of my mind, like kind of a terrifying thing of seeing these things ever resurface. The internet is like a a very interesting place. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where Seriously. anything can happen, I guess. <laughs> that is true. That's true. So what's the climate for photography like in Grand Rapids, Michigan? Do you have, like, photography stores where you can go and buy film? Yeah, so we have two uh, photo stores here in town. We have Norman's, which is more of a, a digital store. They carry some film. Uh, they actually carry the developer that I, I get, so I get my developer from there. And then we also have Mark's Photo and Video that I used to work at. Um, I, I absolutely love Mark's Photo and Video. They're, like... If you think of just, I mean, they've been around, they're one, probably one of the oldest uh, running photo shops uh, in Michigan in general. Um, but, I mean, they've just been in business for years and years and years. And now if you go in there, their front case is just filled with, I mean, they got Leicas, Roloflexes, Hasselblads. I mean, you name it, they got it. And uh, they've been just really so great in just partnering with the film community and really just keeping film alive. Their film fridge is packed stock and uh, they have a working photo lab there. They do black and white. They do color. They have a new Ritsu. I mean, they, you name it, they got it. And uh, just so happy with just the whole photo scene in general. I mean, we get a bunch of guys together and we go out for large photo walks here in town. Um, I'm actually hosting a meetup in August uh, here in the Midwest, so we're doing two days in Grand Rapids, and a bunch of the Grand Rapids guys are going to be there as well. And then we're doing uh, Sunday out in Chicago, uh, and a bunch of us guys are going to travel out to Chicago and meet up with a bunch of people over there. So the the climate is it's hot. I mean, there's there's a lot of, of just film going on, a lot of photography going on, and I couldn't be happier. I feel like I've I've definitely found a majority of the uh, the film guys in Grand Rapids, but I'm sure there's still a few more that are going to come out of the woodwork here in the next uh, couple months. So you're meet, you're hosting the meetup you organized. Yep. So there's actually, uh, if anybody's interested, uh, there's a video over. It's just called the Film Meetup. It's one of my recent videos on YouTube and uh, has a link to the the Facebook event. And it's going to be a Friday evening and then Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I did a Chicago meetup uh, two and a half months ago. That was a huge success. We had a great turnout. I think we had 10 or 12 of us out there. I'm trying to think, um, which is, you know, a great size for a first uh, meetup. And uh, even though we had an entire day together, it just kind of felt like it wasn't enough. So uh, I wanted to do something a little bit more intensive. So Friday night's going to be a... Uh, initial meetup we're going to do a photo critique print swaps zine swaps if anybody has zines uh, and then get the conversation rolling and then on saturday we're going to do a uh, photo walk here in grand rapids and i'll probably bring people around to some of my favorite coffee shops maybe some of my favorite breweries uh, grand rapids is beer city usa after all um, so just kind of give people the the culture of grand rapids but we'll also go out and kind of put into practice what we learned in the uh, photo critiques the night before. And then uh, we we're also going to do kind of an open forum conversation that evening about creativity, about film, about um, print work and projects, and just kind of get some uh, heavy topics out on the table and just start talking about it. I may live stream that. I'm not quite sure yet. 
um, maybe on Instagram Live. And, uh, and then Sunday we'll be heading out to Chicago. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to plug the whole thing, but just to break it down for anybody that is interested. No, I definitely hope there are people listening who are local to that area, or maybe somebody will fly from somewhere else. Sure, <laughs> sure. But I think live streaming is definitely a great idea if everybody is okay with that who's going to be there. Yeah, and that's kind of what I want to double check. And I think most everyone that will be there will be um, pretty open to it. I mean, everyone I feel like uh, in the community that I'm, I'm a part of is is pretty used to live streaming, is pretty used to me live streaming. So hopefully it will be a welcomed uh, topic. We'll see. Yeah, so social media, you have mm-hmm. been doing a lot of live streaming on Instagram, I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely love the Instagram platform. I love stories. I love live streaming. Um, I really wish, I'm trying to find a, a better way because I, I feel like Instagram will improve their live streaming capabilities moving forward, but there's still a bit of a lag and sometimes it, it's just it's kind of a choppy conversation because I'm replying back to things that were 30 minutes ago, you know, and just different things like that. But I'd love to uh, figure out a way to kind of bring some uh, more faces onto the whole thing and kind of get more of a conversation rolling that way as well. But I just love connecting with community. I'm huge about community. I'm huge about the film community and in uh, live streaming lately has just been one of the best ways to, to really get to know some people. Um, there's some people that are definitely regulars on the live stream that jump on nearly every single time that I'm on there and uh, get to, to know each other. We have conversations in the Instagram messenger and, and it's just such a, a solid, solid community. I can't complain by any means. And that's a good point that you bring up about uh, the lag in Instagram stories. I always notice that I see people responding to questions that were asked like, a very long time ago. I've never done a live stream because I've had no reason. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you should give it a shot. You'd be surprised. People would jump on there, and it's just a <laughs> – I'm, I'm all about – and I talk about this on the live streams quite a bit, but I'm all about, uh, you know, sharing process and, and getting to share kind of the behind the scenes. And uh, just – I try to not make uh, the live streams an entire, like, question and answer thing because – I don't know, in my mind, I think, who am I to, to constantly think that people want to come on and ask me questions? But at the same time, questions do naturally come up. Um, but I like just getting conversation rolling. And it's such a, I do think it's such a great platform to really kind of throw some some difficult topics out there and just kind of wrestle through it with some people. And I've been just blown away by some of the response to uh, just some of these ideas that I throw out there. And I started doing with the, the Two Minute Tuesdays that you were talking about earlier. Uh, I have a two-minute Tuesday live that I do every uh, Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard to where I jump on for typically like an hour to an hour and a half. And we talk about that week's two-minute Tuesday or maybe some of the the topics of the past and we just kind of wrestle through it together and and get to kind of throw it out on the table. And uh, really, I mean, it's an open forum. Everyone kind of, some people love the topic, some people disagree with it. And it's always healthy conversation, though, so you'd be surprised. You might get more out of it than you uh, initially anticipate. Yeah, I should definitely try it. Maybe I will. It, it's definitely, I think the, the lagginess is also partly uh, my fault because I could be very long-winded 
And sometimes I just get off on these rants and, uh, and then I'm catching up on com- comments and questions afterwards. But at the same time, I guess what better platform than live stream? Who are some of the iconic photographers who have inspired you? You mentioned some of them before when we were talking about your decision to shoot uh, personal work in black and white. Yeah, totally. So I talked about Ralph Gibson earlier. I absolutely love his work. I, I have a, a mini collection of his books going on that I, I frequent quite often. Uh, I just love the way that he captures detail and just really kind of hones in on, on details. But uh, Elliot Erwitt, I mean, talking about being silly and just everything who he is. I love watching interviews with him. I love watching videos about him and, and just like this silly now he's just a silly old man that walks around with a cane that has like a little squeeze horn on it and he honks at people and he barks at dogs to make them jump and like everything about his work is just so tongue-in-cheek and so sarcastic and it just resonates with so much of who i am uh so i really really just approach uh, his work and, and just learn so much from him um guys like yusuf karsh uh are just fantastic portraitures uh portrait photographers that i cannot get enough of uh just his approach to light his approach to his subject matter uh the compositions of how he would put his sitter within the the scene and include certain elements it's just brilliant um man i'm I'm looking i'm sitting right next to my uh my bookshelf here andy levowitz uh i love her her older work um she did a olympic portrait um, book that I, I have and absolutely love. It's a lot of black and white grainy portraits of um, the Olympians from, uh, I feel like it's 1992 or somewhere in there. Um, but that was just, such a good year. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Saul Leiter, uh, I mean, just incredible. I actually, I hadn't revisited his work in a while and I've been doing a lot of reflections and uh, just different things in my personal work and people kept on going, Oh man, this like, this reminds me so much of, of lighter and his work. And I went back through and it must've been subconscious that it was just ingrained into me from before, because, uh, going back through his work now, I really do see a, a big connection between the stuff that I'm shooting right now and the, the stuff that he was shooting back then. And I definitely see a parallel there. So I've been reapproaching his work and getting, uh, just re-inspired by him. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, Robert Duano, uh, I love his stuff. Uh, Edward Weston, just the classics. I've been picking up a lot of Joel Meyerowitz books lately, uh, just reapproaching his street photography, but also his landscape stuff. I have a book of his on Tuscany uh, in Italy, and just getting to go through that and just see the way that he captures uh, a land that, has become very familiar with him, but uh, was very foreign to him at the beginning. So just, yeah, I don't know. A lot of Magnum guys. Uh, oh, one one more before we move on is, uh, oh, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, Jay Maisel, sorry. I had to look back at He's probably had the, the single largest impact on my street photography work um, and anyone i would say just because i've watched so many of his teachings and i've listened to interviews with them and, and i've just gotten so much of his thought process ingrained into my mind that uh, i probably re reshare it without even realizing probably a lot of the things that i'm sharing are, are very rooted in just a lot of his teachings so um yeah hopefully that 
answers the subject uh, broad and, and well. Yeah, Annie Leibovitz, uh, she had a quote, and I can't remember it verbatim or where I read it or heard it, because I've taken a lot of her books out of the library, but mm-hmm. um, she had a quote that, like, when you are with a camera, you don't really feel like you're alone, mm. because the camera feels like a presence that's there with you, so it's not weird to walk around, you know, on the street with a camera by yourself, technically, Sure. That makes sense. I, so feel I like... always think of her and I think of that. Yeah, that's that's such a great quote. And I, I feel like there is a, a certain comfort of being able to go out with the, the camera, being able to go out and just approach things with kind of, especially when, you know, like the Leica has become, you know, this year with, with my work, it's become this like friend that, you know, travels with me. You know, it's always in the passenger seat going in these places and, you know, I, I, I try not to get like attached to materialistic things, but like whenever I wear, I, I wear Sperry topsiders and I have this old pair of Sperry topsiders that the, the soles are just like flapping off of them and they're just like ripped to shreds, but they're still up in my closet because there's so many different adventures that I went on with these things. Like, uh, I mean, I could list off like all these different places that I had traveled within the four years that I had them and they're just huge milestones in, in just, my photography in my marriage and you know all these different areas that we got to go and experience that were you know traveled and trekked through with these sperries on my feet and it's just weird that i would keep them up in my closet but it's kind of that thing to where these these items that are, are with us over and over and over again that become so familiar in our life become kind of like friends it's weird yeah I'm, and there are so many different aspects like of what you were talking about like with the leica some people say, oh, it's not about the camera, but there are psychological theories that certain objects that have meaning, like, for instance, the Leica is the, you know, the top camera that anybody could own, really. I mean, not for, you know, like, different uh, features of the camera, but just because of its history. Totally. And it does definitely have a psychological effect on people. You know, you go out and you go out with a purpose, and that's part of what makes it easy to go out and walk around, and take pictures, and not feel like Annie Leibovitz was talking about, like alone. Absolutely. I mean, there's. Think about it. Like, if you go to to into the city of New York and and shoot, you just think about the the heritage that's there. That you know, of just legendary photographers that have covered the city, and just this this story that you're getting you're getting to step into with them and it's the same thing with the Leica and how many legendary photographers have have shot with the Leica that you're getting to kind of step into the heritage of with it and I know that that really at the end of the day doesn't really play into the the photos that are made but um at the same time it might I don't know there's there's something about it there's something about you know there's a reason why so many people step into to owning a Leica and that's the last camera that they buy uh, and I was kind of skeptical when I made the the purchase, kind of like, well, you know, I'll try this out and see if uh, if it will fit my. Because I actually, I didn't jive with the the rangefinder right off the get go. It took about 15 rolls of film that were just all out of focus and just junk before I actually started like clicking with it and started you know getting the feel of the camera. So at first I was kind of like, well, this is definitely a piece of junk, but but now it's like. I, I hate to say it because so many Leica guys say it, but it's it's really become you know the extension of my vision and, and I, I you know it 
it's what Leica haters absolutely hate hearing, but I'll say it just to, I guess, tick them off or something. I don't know. <laughs> it, there I don't is... know why people hate Leica. I mean, there's such a good story behind the whole, you know, franchise of Leica. Sure. And, you know, I've read so many different articles about, like, well, you know, there's every Leica owner says that they own three Leicas. They have the one that's in for repair, the one that's getting sent in for repair soon, and then the one that's in the backup or whatever, you know. And I, <laughs> I, I don't know, but at the same time, it is a repairable camera. It's legitimately an investment that um, that you can count on. It's an investment that you know can be repaired time and time and time again, uh, and you can't say that for a lot of cameras. My, my Canon F1... Um, just out of nowhere literally it was working last week and i just picked it up the other day and i was actually looking to sell it and it's kind of a bummer because it it's broken and i'm not quite sure what's going on with it and i i don't know how repairable it is and you know it's just one of those things to where if something goes out on the leica i know that i could send it out to yuxin Yi out in connecticut or somebody and it can be repaired and it could come back working like the day it came off the the assembly line so um, I'm getting much more to that point in my life to where it's like, instead of buying a bunch of, you know, middle of the road things, I want to buy into, you know, expensive things that are going to last a, a lifetime. Yeah. And the M2 and a Leica is definitely one of those. Oh, totally. All mechanical. And yeah, I just, yeah, it's amazing. So I try not to be too much of a Leica fanboy, but at the same time, like I said, it is it is like the one camera that if I don't have it in my hands for a couple of days, like I start going, what am I doing with my life? I need to get out there and start shooting again. You know, like I can't say that about too many cameras. Yeah, definitely. A Leica is on my list, but the reason why I don't have one <laughs> and why I have like a you know a bunch of other cameras is because I haven't found the serial number I'm looking for. Oh really? So yeah, I uh, the numbers are important to me. So I want it to either be, you know, like in the sequence of the numbers, the year that my great grandmother was born, mm. or the year that my mom was born. Wow. So if I ever see a string of numbers that even comes close, sure. I will hit that button, you know, <laughs> on whatever eBay, Twitter, right. you know, Instagram, whatever. <laughs> That's funny. That's really cool though. Because I know I'll have it for my whole life, so I want to. I really want like a certain serial number. So I've been looking, 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 you know, looking at the years and when it came off the line, you know, sure. because that's something that would be important to me. That's I incredible. Just have the uh, top plate like carved or whatever, but that's really not the same thing. Sure. <laughs> I've you know I I've thought about it because I. I want to get a, a Leica M2 that I can like customize, right? That I can maybe repaint or reskin and stuff like Make that. It look the, like Pikachu. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe not that far, but <laughs> my buddy. But you've I, seen that, right? <laughs> oh yeah. The, I have a buddy Brandon. He's uh, Studley Steedman on Instagram, and uh, he and I just anytime we see like crazy off the wall Leica stuff, we'll send it to each other just cause we're both kind of like fanboys and we just get a kick out of some of these things. And we've sent so many different variations of the Pikachu one. There's a transformers one going yep, around and yep, yep. it's just so silly, but uh, I love the idea of customizing a camera to like just suit who you are. But I've never thought about the idea of like 
finding a significance within the serial number and just having having that. So that's really cool. That's pretty sweet to hear. Yeah, so I'm hoping, I mean, one day that those special numbers will turn up. But if they don't, I'll be fine, too. Sure. <laughs> with, with my other arsenal. <laughs> sure. I'm actually, the, the Leica that I have, uh, I'm actually going to be giving away uh, probably within the next week and a half. I'm doing a bit of a, a giveaway with it. So a giveaway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this, How this, do we enter? Yeah, this crazy idea came across my my plate, and I, <laughs> I just started running with it. I was like, you know what? This is brilliant. Um, the Leica M2 that I ended up um, getting is it's an M2M, and and what's the difference is there's uh, underneath the bottom plate there's three contact points that. Uh, this model was made to connect with the big like winder grips that were made for the M4 from Lights New York back in 67, 8, 9, I think, or somewhere in there. And uh, so they only made 275 of the Leica M2M. So it's actually one of the most rare Leicas on the market. It's kind of crazy. And I, I had no idea that I was getting into this Leica, uh, this rareness of a Leica when I was buying the camera. Um, so long story short, uh, like I said, I want to find one, I want to have an M2 that I can customize, that I can change the leather out on and and be able to kind of personalize it, make it my own and not worry about beating it up. And, uh, I would just, I would hate to reskin a super rare (laughs) Leica. So, um, I've had it on the market for sale for a while, but trying to find a Leica collector is kind of difficult. So this idea came across my plate of raffling it off. Uh, and it turns out that doing an online raffle is actually illegal. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do print sales, and they're just going to be $10 four by sixes. And for every four by six you purchase, your name gets put in the um, giveaway for the Leica M2M. So for $10, you may win a extremely extremely rare Leica. <laughs> That is so exciting. In the what whole, is the deadline? <laughs> I, to be honest, like the best way that people could uh, can find out about it is on the YouTube channel because I'm actually I'm hoping to either go towards future giveaways or will also help to fund some of the uh, future projects on on the channel. I I don't monet like the videos on the channel aren't monetized in the way of like when you get there you're never going to see. Um, advertisements, at least that I add. I don't know what YouTube might do on their end. Um, you're always kind of subject to the, the platform, you know, but um, I'm never going to turn on the, the commercial advertisements on my videos. So it's things like this that will help to fund the channel and, and make it a little bit more uh, easily approachable in my schedule. I'm laughing because I'm thinking about the advertisements I see the most. Like, oh, Carly Claus is going to tell us that she made her website with Wix. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you don't want that before all of your videos? Right. As long as I, I like, I would be, I guess, I would be okay with YouTube putting anything on. Except, I don't know. Maybe just if you don't, if you don't release it by the time the uh, the giveaway is is finished, you might have to cut that whole part out and just. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> or leave it and every, make everybody feel like. Oh, man. <laughs> they might revolt. I'm just kidding. <laughs> or I might just get a bunch of haters that are going to come over to the YouTube channel and just talk about how they hate Leica. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll welcome both. I, <laughs> I love people, so, so if they want to come over and talk trash about Leica, I'll still love them. 
to end on a note, let's see, like, what advice would you give somebody getting into photography today? Sure. Uh, I would say two things. The first thing about social media is don't get caught up in the affirmation of likes and subscribers. Like, uh, if you can approach social media in a way, because I, I think social media has become a big part of the creative process. So I think if you were to approach social media in much more of a way of how can I build community and how can I build lasting friendships, you'll be much more rewarded than trying to um, gain more likes, more popularity, or whatever that even looks like. At the end of the day, uh, that's not going to enrich your life. At the end of the day, that's not going to really add anything to your life. So, uh, And the cool thing is, is, is when you build community, um, healthy community naturally grows. And you'll start to see likes and subscribers from that, but it'll uh, it'll leave you in a much more healthy place at the end of the day. And then the other thing is, uh, my number one secret and, and just tip that I would say for people getting into photography is um, really become passionate about learning to see light. Uh, photography, in its essence, is writing with light. You know, photographos. Uh, and, and the whole thing is based off of light in the first place. So once you learn how to see light, your photography will actually grow significantly versus just trying to put good looking things in front of a camera, if that makes sense. I think it will take good looking things to the next level when it's good looking things or mediocre looking things with amazing light on it. So those would be my two big ones. And two good ones. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. This was a blast. Yeah, maybe there will be a part two someday. Hey, I'd, I would enjoy that, and I would totally welcome that. This has been another episode of the With a Camera podcast. I'm your host, Kristen. I can be found on social media at Kristen with a Camera. If you or someone you know would like to be a part of this podcast, please hit me up on social media. If you liked this, please subscribe wherever podcasts are streamed. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Get out there and shoot. Shoot.